All right, it has already been quite a full morning because this is my second worship service. And honestly, after the choir and Brother Mike sang in the first worship, worship service, I was like, well, it can't get much better than that. And then all of a sudden, it seems as though God has spoken again through His Spirit into our hearts and our lives. And more than anything else, I hope through what the choir has sung and what Brother Mike has sung and what Brother Andy has led, I hope more than anything else, it has given us a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? Because really, that's what it's all about. We come here not to worship the people that stand before us. They're just instruments to be used of God to direct us into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope what we have seen this morning is the Lamb of God lifted up. Because He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy to be worshipped as it is recorded in the book of Revelation. All honor, all power, all glory is due His name. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? That is what we are excited about today. You know, it's okay to get excited in worship service. It's all right to give a good hearty amen and a round of applause. There's nothing to that. It's like one guy said, you know, uh, about amens. That's like saying sick it to a bulldog when you amen a pastor, right? Yeah, you have to be careful of that. Yeah, you have to be real careful of that. We may not get out today, all right? All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, the book, the Gospel of John, we're looking at John's Gospel account. We have been in there for several weeks just kind of wandering around, or as some people would say, we're just kind of driving through the Gospel of John, albeit very, very slow. We are driving through the Gospel of John. But this morning, we are going to hopefully deal with a chunk of Scripture, verses 35 through 51. Now, I'll know that you will right away recognize that I am being very ambitious when I say 35 to 51. If you were in the first service this morning, you also realized something. We didn't make it 35 to 51. We made it 35 to 42, and then I realized there was just absolutely no way we were going to make the rest of those verses, so I just stopped. So what I encouraged everyone to do who was in the first service, if you wanted to hear the second part of the sermon, just come back to this service and you get the second part. But I'm really hoping that we will be able to deal with this passage of Scripture to the fullest this morning if God allows us to do that. If not, I know that God has a message for us wherever it may be that we stop in this passage of Scripture. Actually, it's two different accounts, two different stories that are recorded for us in the Gospel of John that I believe that God has a very important word for us today, no matter where we may find ourselves at. I think God in these two accounts has something He wants to directly speak into our lives today. I am convinced of that. You know, that's the great thing about God's Word. If we will prepare our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive the Word of God, God will always show up and He will always speak truth into our life. We just have to make ourselves available to hear what it is that God desires for us to hear. So I'm hoping that we've prepared our hearts. I hope that we have open ears, open minds, and an open heart to hear what it is that God wants to give us this morning through His Word. Now I have a question for you this morning that I want to start with. How many of you like a good story? Do you like a good story? 
I mean, I tell you, I love a good story. And as a boy growing up, I had a grandfather that was a master storyteller. I could tell you that right now. I would climb up on his lap at times, and he would weave a tale that would hold my interest for sometimes an hour. Can you imagine that at four or five years of age? He would share all kind of stories. He lived in Vider, Texas, and he would talk about the purple and the red monkeys that lived in his backyard. And I was amazed because I never saw any of them. But when he spoke to me about those things and about going squirrel hunting and all of the different things he did around his property, I was just spellbound by my grandfather and the stories that he would share with me. Sometimes we would get in the car. We never lived around them. We always lived off. And as we were traveling down the road, I would recount those stories to my parents. And sometimes we would just talk for, it seemed like, hours upon end. I know it wasn't that long, but you know how it is when you're a child. And I would just recount those stories that he was just a master storyteller. He could really spin what we would say a good old-fashioned yarn. You know what I'm saying? He could do it. And I so much enjoyed just being his grandchild and hearing those stories in my life. I see my, my cousin seated, seated down here in front of me and she's kind of smiling. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you really like a good story, then you should really enjoy the Gospel of John. And the reason that is, is the Gospel of John is written in story form. It's one story after another story about the life of Jesus Christ while He was here on earth. Now, I will say something. These stories here are much different than the stories that my grandfather told me. And the reason these stories are different is because we have before us the very words of the living God. The stories that we find here are recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These stories for us as believers have all authority for our lives. Wouldn't you agree with me this morning when I say that? So if you have your Bibles there in the 35th verse, we're going to be looking at two different accounts in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, when you find your place there, just look up at me real quick because I want to give you just a little bit of information. If you remember, when John started this gospel account, he stacks one claim on top of another claim showing that Jesus Christ was truly God. He wanted his readers to have an assurance in their heart and in their life that Jesus Christ was exactly who Jesus Christ claimed to be. If you're confused about who Jesus Christ is this morning, I would challenge you to go to the Word of God, look in the Word of God, and hear what Jesus Christ Himself had to say about who He was. Because over and over again in Scripture, Jesus Christ claims to be God in the human flesh. That is who He is. It is so very clear when you read the stories. Now the unique thing is, time we get to verse 35 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, 
John is going to switch gears. And he's no longer going to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Now he's going to switch gears and he's going to begin to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ was human. Have you ever thought about the question, what kind of man was Jesus Christ? I mean, when we read Scripture, it is easy for us to tell that not only Jesus Christ was 100% God, but He was also 100% man. He was 100% humanity just like you and I. Did you realize there were times in Jesus Christ's life where He was hungry and He was thirsty? After a long day of work, He would come home and He would be tired. There were times when Jesus Christ felt all alone in this world. There were times when he was a baby and he was wrapped in those swaddling clothes and he was placed in that manger in Bethlehem. There is no doubt in my mind he was just like any other baby in the sense that he cried and there was times he cooed and there was times that things went well and there were times that things went bad. As a child growing up, there's no doubt that he experienced the secure love of his mother and father, Mary and Joseph. And I would also let you know this morning that when the Romans scourged Jesus Christ and when they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet, he felt just as much pain as you and I would feel if they were to do that to us today. I want you to think about that for a moment. When we think about who Jesus Christ is, indeed God's Word makes it very clear to us that Jesus Christ was God. But I would caution you, as you think about that this morning, don't exclude the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% humanity as well. And In Jesus Christ, we have the person, I mean, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have God and human flesh dwelling together. Now, as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ was human, and as John reveals to us the humanity of Jesus Christ in these verses here, we begin to realize something very important about who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus Christ related to people in a personal way. Because He was human, He chose to relate to people in a human way. Think about it for a moment. Jesus Christ over and over again calls for normal, everyday people to come after Him and to follow Him. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether they be rich or poor, Jesus challenged every person to follow Him. When Jesus Christ appointed the twelve, there were fishermen and there were tax collectors and there was a zealot as a part of that group. Normal human people. Jesus Christ in His humanity chose to relate to mankind in their humanity. But this is the amazing thing about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, even though He was 100% human, He was without sin. At any point in time, we remove the humanity of Jesus Christ. We take away Jesus Christ's ability to relate to you and I in our humanity. So when we consider the fact that Jesus is God, 
we must also consider the fact that Jesus Christ was human as well. Now, this is the unique thing. Now, listen to me carefully. This is great news. In the same way that God or Jesus Christ chose to relate to people in the first century, He wants to relate to us the same way this morning. Have you ever thought about that? The sovereign God of the universe desires to relate to you in a personal relationship. In your humanity, He wants to relate to you. Over and over again, we see that in Scripture. And it is so very clear in the passage of Scripture, the two different stories, the two different events we're going to look at this morning. John writes about two different events that happen in the life of Jesus Christ. We're going to be introduced to four different men Four different men who are going to meet Jesus Christ for the first time. And I would tell you today, as a result of meeting Jesus Christ, their life is going to be radically changed. In the first story, we're introduced to Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter would become apostles of Jesus Christ. Peter is that outspoken leader of the apostles. If you're like me, oftentimes I relate well to Peter because I feel like him. I'm always sticking my foot in my mouth. Isn't that what Peter did over and over again in his relationship with Jesus Christ? Don't we find uh, Peter making these bold predictions, these bold proclamations, but never living up to them? Have you ever found yourself like that? Making bold proclamations, making bold predictions, making bold acclamations about your relationship with Jesus Christ only to learn later on that you have failed? If you can understand that, you can relate to to Peter in this story as well as Andrew. In the second story, we're going to be introduced to two different men. One is named Philip and the other one is named Nathaniel. These are two, maybe we would refer to as lesser apostles. Not lesser in the sense because they were any less significant, but lesser in the sense because we don't have a lot of information in God's Word concerning either one of them. As a matter of fact, outside the Gospel of John, there's nothing else recorded in the Bible concerning Philip. But we do know this about all four of these men. When they met Jesus Christ... Their lives were radically changed. And as a result of their life being radically changed, because of their love and devotion to Jesus Christ, they will literally turn the world upside down. Now, when you hear that, if you're like me, you may be thinking, well, well, Brother Jeff, these were, these were men in the Bible. They're different than we are. Can I tell you this morning, they're not different than we are? What may be different about their life in comparison to our life is this. There was a radical abandonment to Jesus Christ. That's what it was. So in the opening story, John records for us that the setting is the Judean wilderness. 
John tells us that the day before was the day that Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. On that day, John the Baptist makes this great declaration about Jesus Christ. He says, as Jesus Christ comes to him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the day after that event. And as John is standing there, there are two men standing next to him. One we know to be Andrew. The other man the name is not giving. But they're standing next to John. And John is going to make this second declaration again. He says once again, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And immediately those two men that are standing there next to John the Baptist, they leave John the Baptist, they forsake him, and they begin to pursue Jesus Christ. And then there is this very interesting dialogue that takes place between these two men and Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to what it says in this passage of Scripture. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples. Those two disciples is Andrew and the other one. Many scholars think it was probably John, the writer of this gospel, who was standing there. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Don't worry. Next week we are going to look at those words. But I just want you to hear that John for the second time has announced that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. There is so, that is a profound statement made by John here in this passage of Scripture. Now listen to what he says here. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus Christ. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? These are the very first words recorded of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. A simple question that Jesus looks at these men and He asks them the question, Guys, what are you seeking? Why are you following me? Now it would be very easy for us to gloss over this question and miss the full impact of what it is that Jesus Christ is saying. I would tell you there is a much deeper meaning in the words of this question, these words that Jesus Christ speaks, than just, hey guys, what are you looking for? Jesus looks at these two men and He says to them, what are you seeking? Then they respond to Him. Not in the manner that we would think that they would respond. They don't answer Jesus Christ's question. I don't know about you, but don't you dislike when you ask somebody a question and they turn around and they ask you a question back? There's nothing ever fun about that, right? Well, that's exactly what these two men do. They look at Jesus Christ and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And don't miss this. Jesus says to them, Come and you will see. Come and you will see. Can I say something to you this morning? Jesus Christ 
is still in the business of inviting people to come to him. Do you see that here in this passage of Scripture? These two men are pursuing Jesus Christ. They've heard John the Baptist's statement, Behold the Lamb of God. Automatically they forsake John the Baptist. Now they're pursuing Jesus Christ. They're seeking after Jesus Christ. Jesus turns and looks at them and says, Hey guys, what in the world are you seeking in life? And then they ask him the question, Where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, Hey, come and see. Come and see. This is an invitation to come and be with Jesus Christ. And I would tell you today that we serve a Jesus that is still inviting people to come unto Him. He is still saying, come and see. As I look at the world in which we live in, people are searching in this world. People are looking in many different things to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Created in every single person is a longing, a desire to have purpose, meaning in life. It is the natural tendency for people to search for meaning in life. That is true. These men were searching for meaning. And Jesus Christ knows their heart. He turns to them and He says to them, What are you seeking? What are you looking for in life? What are you searching for? Can I just ask you a question this morning? What are you searching for in life? Are you wanting to have purpose and meaning to your life? I will tell you this morning, only Jesus can feel your deepest longing in life. Only Jesus can. As one man has so aptly put it, there is a God-shaped hole in the life of every person that can only be filled by God. You can search and search. You can try to stuff that hole with money, drugs, alcohol, love, power, prestige, and the pleasures of the world. And at the end of the day, I promise you, you'll be just as empty as you were at the beginning of the day. That is the reality. That is the truth of God's Word. Every person has a God-sized hole in their life that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can bring ultimate fulfillment to our lives. Only He can do that. Only He can. It's like the old saying, it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It just won't work. You ever notice that about children? We had one of those round balls, you know. I don't know if you remember those things. You pull them apart. They have all the different shapes on them. You remember that? And as you looked, if you remember, you pull those shapes apart and what happens? You know, all of those little pieces fall out. But then, if you've ever noticed children, what are they doing? They're always trying to shove the piece in the hole that won't work. Isn't that true? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, my son, I came in one time and he had a hammer trying to beat one into it. Wham, wham. And it just wasn't working. 
No, son, that doesn't work. But you know what? In a spiritual sense, we are just like that. Aren't we? We'll go out and pursue the things of the world as though the temporal things of the world can bring eternal fulfillment in our life. And we wake up one day and we come to the end of life and we realize, oh, how empty my life has been. And you know why? Because we have put all of our effort, all of our energy, all of our time into something that is temporal, that's going to go away. It will fade away one day and we've not invested in the eternal. You see what I'm saying? I will tell you on this day right here, Andrew's deepest longing in life was filled by Jesus Christ. His searching was over. He found what he was looking for in life. He found Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. On this day, he found Him. And you know what's amazing? If you read the rest of the Bible, to look at the transformation that happens in Andrew's life. He is radically transformed as a result of finding Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He has radically changed. Now here is the personal application for our lives this morning. Look at me carefully and listen to what I'm going to say. Jesus Christ is the end of your search for meaning in life. Jesus Christ is the end. When you find Jesus, you will realize there is nothing better to be found and you will devote your entire life to Him. It's like the old hymn that we sing. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me and the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Can I ask you a question this morning, believer? Can you honestly say today the only thing that thrills your soul is Jesus Christ. Can you say that you are so radically abandoned to God that you love God with so much of your heart, mind, soul, and being that all that thrills your soul is Jesus Christ. He is more than life to me. He is the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Jesus Christ looked at these men and He said to them, What are you seeking? And then He invited them to come and see. As I look at this passage of Scripture, it is oh so very clear to me that the gospel message is an all-inclusive message. It is a gospel for everyone. 
Now, don't misunderstand me when I make that statement. When I say the gospel is an all-inclusive message, I am not saying that all people will be saved. That is surely God's desire of His heart, but we realize and understand there will be some people that will reject the free gift of salvation that God offers them. And they will continue to go through life foundering all the time, searching in temporal things for eternal meaning and significance in life. And they will miss out on the gospel message. They will miss out on true fulfillment and satisfaction in life because they will never bow their knee. They will never claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. They just won't do it. It is an all-inclusive message in the sense that the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. Where are you investing your time today as a believer? Are you investing in the temporal things of the world? Or are you investing in the eternal things of significance, things that will last forever. What are you seeking in this life?